Man, it's great to be delivered. Hallelujah. Changed my life. Changed me completely. Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I tell you what, it bothers me. It bothers me. We have a lot of people saying they got saved, but we don't see any difference. And the difference isn't what makes you saved. The difference is a result of being saved. You get born again, God does something in your life, makes you that new creature. You got some new taste that you didn't have before for the right things. It's just amazing. I'd, I'd hate to think where I'd be today if I hadn't gotten saved. I mean, my wife and I had been married for two and a half years when we got born again. And it changed everything about us. And God did it. Hallelujah. Now, it didn't make me perfect. That's coming. That's coming. That's not now, but it's coming. Hallelujah. Well, anyway, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew, chapter 22. I'm going to begin reading at verse 42 and read through verse 46. Matthew, chapter 22. Well, let's go ahead and start at verse 41. The scripture says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So I'll, I'll ask the same question today that Jesus asked. What think ye of Christ? What think ye of Christ? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again today for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God that as I preach, your word would go forth in power. Lord, you know every individual here. You know their heart. You know where they're at. You know what they think. God, I pray that right now, God, that you would use the Spirit of God to drive home the words of God, to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Bring people to the Savior, I pray. May we think right about Jesus Christ. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do in this message, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I could mention some names, and immediately your response to those names would tell me some things about you. Now, you don't need to respond to the names that I'm going to mention. For some of them, you might curse, and others that you might bless. But if I mention names like, for instance, Bill Clinton or George Bush, don't say anything. George Bush, uh, Joe Biden, don't say anything. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Martha Stewart. I'm going to give myself a break here. Red Skelton, John Kennedy, Queen Elizabeth II. We would get many different responses. But your response would tell us some things about you. Your responses would tell us whether or not politically you're a liberal or you're a conservative, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, whether you're a patriot or a communist, and might even tell us something of your age. For instance, if you've never heard of Red Skelton, you're young. All there is to it. 
Now, your opinion could have some effect on you or impact upon you. I mean, the truth is your position on some of these names might make the difference between a job or being welcomed into your own neighborhood. But when it comes to this matter of Jesus Christ, there is no opinion that is more important. By the way, your opinion about what you think of Jesus Christ does not change who he is. I I disagree with what you say, preacher, that Jesus isn't that important. Well, that doesn't change how important he is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the only way to heaven. You can't get there any other way. This church can't take you to heaven. Religion can't take you to heaven. Being good can't take you to heaven. Only the Jesus Christ of this book can take you to heaven. Back in 1993, there was a group, a Jesus seminar, that were a bunch of these men who considered themselves critical biblical scholars, along with a hundred laymen, was founded back in 1985 by a man by the name of Robert Funk. It originated under the auspices of the West Star Institute. It was to try to get a handle on who the historical Jesus is. Their group, by the way, was later dissolved in 2006 for the good of all humanity. They came to some amazing conclusions, and you wonder how. It's almost like they decided if it says it in the Bible, it must be something else. Because some of the conclusions they came to, well, the first one at least is right. Jesus was born during the reign of Herod the Great. Now, we know that. From Matthew chapter 2, that's plain. But then they wrote, his mother's name was Mary, and he had a human father whose name may not have been Joseph. Now right there lets me know these weren't scholars. If they pass themselves off as such, they haven't read much with regards to the scripture for sure. Another thing they said was this, this is amazing. Jesus was born in Nazareth. Not in Bethlehem. Well, if he wasn't born in Bethlehem, then he could not be the Savior. For the scripture had said in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. The Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem because that's what God said would happen. They also said Jesus was an itinerant sage who shared meals with social outcasts. Oh, he was much more than a sage. He's the son of God. Not only that, they said Jesus practiced, now get this, Jesus practiced faith healing without the use of ancient medicine or magic, relieving afflictions that we now consider psychosomatic. In other words, he didn't really heal anybody. He just talked them into feeling healed. That's what they're saying. Where did they get that? On what authority did they even say such a thing? Self-proclaimed scholars. They also said he did not walk on water, feed the multitude with loaves and fishes, change the water to wine, or raise Lazarus from the dead. Like I said, if it said it in the Bible, they say it can't be so. 
They said Jesus was arrested in Jerusalem and crucified by the Romans and was executed as a public nuisance, not for claiming that he was the Son of God. They also said the empty tomb is fiction. Jesus was not raised bodily from the dead. Now that tells me right there that they're lost. You say, do we have to believe in a bodily resurrection in order to be saved? Absolutely. Jesus said in John chapter 2 to the Jews, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the next verse says, but he spake of the temple of his body. And then in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Yes, you have to believe in the resurrection. Why? Because the Bible says that he suffered for our sins and was raised again for our justification. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. They say that belief in the resurrection is based on... This is amazing. Belief in the resurrection is based on the visionary experiences of Peter, Paul, and Mary. Not the singers. (laughs) But I think they'd been listening to the singers. I think they'd been doing whatever Puff the Magic Dragon was doing. And Mary Magdalene, that was it. Well, in the passage that we just read in chapter 22, we're in the last week of Jesus' public ministry. For three and a half years, he has become the most famous person really in all of Palestine at this point. He had healed many of real sicknesses and diseases. He had raised people, not just Lazarus from the dead. He had taught many wonderful things without going to the so-called scholars and quoting them because Jesus himself was the authority of truth. The scripture says he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In Matthew chapter 22, in the last week of his earthly ministry, just notice a few things. Go back to verse 15. It says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth, neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Now what they just said, they didn't believe. They were trying to trap him. They were using flattery to try to entice him in his words. These were the first employees of CNN. (laughs) Then verse 23, it says, In the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and ask him. So now they're questioning him on the subject of resurrection. And then you go to verses 34 and 35, and the scripture says, And when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Notice, ask him a question, tempting him, saying. They tried every way that they could to cross up Jesus, but of course they never did. And when Jesus got done with them, they were the ones backing away in silence. And so he asked them the question in verse 42. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Because this is really the very key question for every man, woman, boy, or girl. Who, what think ye of Christ? Now back in Matthew chapter 16... 
Jesus had asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They said, well, some say you're Elias. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he looked at his disciples and said, but who say ye that I am? Peter spoke up and gave the right answer. We believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Over and over again in the book of Acts, we find them preaching that Jesus was the Christ. You understand that Christ is not his last name. It is his title. He is the Christ. That's the Greek form of the word that's also translated in the Old Testament, Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. He is the very son of God. Your opinion of him is the difference between heaven and hell for you. If you're wrong on the matter of Jesus Christ, you will not end up in heaven, to be sure. You've got to have it right. Well, we find that men, even in the answers that, that Jesus got from the disciples, we find that men thought different things of Jesus. But until you get it right as to who he is, those answers become very empty. For instance, some called him just a man. As a matter of fact, those in that West Star group, uh, that uh, those scholars, they looked at him as nothing more than just a man. Now today, some would say, well, he was a good man. Uh, many would say he was a wise man. Others would say that, uh, even go far enough to say that he was a charlatan because he drew so many in when there was really nothing special about him. But in each of their cases, to these people, he was just a man, like Augustus Caesar was just a man. Those who called a former president the Messiah, what were they doing? They were basically comparing Jesus Christ to someone who had attained high political rank, but he was just a man. But Jesus Christ is far more than any of that. It's true now that he was a man, but that's not all that he is. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Wow. He submitted himself to suffering, even the suffering of the cross. He died for our sins. And the scripture says, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. That's Jesus. You remember in John chapter 4 when he was walking through Samaria with his disciples and he got tired. And he stayed at Jacob's well while the disciples went into the city to buy meat. And while they stayed there, we find that he was not only tired, but he was also thirsty. And we find that he was weary. Yes, he was a man. He was 100% man. But what they miss is he's also 100% God. Even the Jews knew who Jesus claimed to be. Let me show you. Turn over to the book of John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Jesus heals a man in John chapter 5 by the pool of Bethesda. And notice beginning in verse 17 of John chapter 5. It says, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself, get this, making himself equal with God. 
You see, you can't have an eternal father without having an eternal son. He was making himself equal with God. And they understood that. Notice the next verse. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. That's in verse 19. And then in verse 20, For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. Now, this isn't the only time that he has an exchange like this with these Jewish religious leaders who were rejecting that Jesus was the Christ. They did not believe. See, their problem, it was never for the Jews that they didn't believe in Christ. They believed in a Messiah. They believed that the Christ was coming. Their problem was they did not accept Jesus of Nazareth as that Christ. Go over to chapter 10. Notice in chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. If Jesus is not God, then what he said was blasphemy. But he was simply telling them the truth. This book begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Even the prophecy of the coming Christ in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That is Jesus Christ. So he told the Jews in John chapter 8, he said in verse 24, Ye shall die in your sins, for except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Yeah, there's some people who just believe he's a man, a special man. But he's far more than that. He's God. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the only Savior. And then there are some who would go a little bit further. They would say he's not just a man. He's a prophet. He's from God. A special man with a special message for his time. But when you consider the answers that the disciples gave him when he asked them, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? You know, they started naming prophets. That's what some of the people thought. Of course, the disciples thought more of him than just what they said there. Some said that he was John the Baptist. No, he wasn't John the Baptist. John the Baptist was just a messenger to announce his coming. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. And why when the crowd was leaving John the Baptist to go after Jesus and he was asked about it by the Jews, he declared, he must increase, but I must decrease. Because it wasn't about John the Baptist, who was just a man. It was all about God. Truly, they thought of him as a man with a special message from God. But these same people would put him in league with somebody like Muhammad, Socrates. Confucius, Plato. But I got news for you. For every one of those names that I just mentioned, 
If they didn't turn to Jesus Christ and trust him alone as Savior, they are all burning in hell today. Yeah, they said he's a man. They said he's a prophet. And one man even said, well, he's of God. They wanted to give a special add-on. They recognized him as human and yet somehow a little divine as not just a messenger of God, but the message himself. Note again the conversation of John chapter 9 and verse 17. Remember when he healed the blind man and uh, the blind man was telling the Jews, and the Jews didn't like it because he was proclaiming Jesus as being more than just a man. He says, uh, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not one thing I know. Wherefore I was blind, but now I see. He made a difference in my life. I look back to the fall of 1971 when I found Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I was a country western disc jockey in Otsego, Michigan. Had a foul mouth. We did nothing for God, wanted nothing to do with God. And boy, we thought that sounded intelligent. But it wasn't intelligent at all. It was an ignorance that would have sent me to hell. Thank God I found out who he was. Thank God I found out what he did. Thank God I found out who he is. And I took Christ as my Savior. And when I did that, he changed my life. A couple weeks later, my wife trusted Christ as Savior. And God changed our home, changed our relationship, changed the whole direction of our lives. That's what he does when he saves. God the Father proclaimed him as God. I want you to notice, turn back to Isaiah. I often quote some of these verses, but I I want you to look at them. Go to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. I want you to notice beginning in verse 10. It is Jehovah who is speaking. And for those of you who may not know this, whenever you read the Old Testament, Whenever you find the word Lord, at least in your King James Bible, whenever you find the word Lord in the Old Testament in all capital letters, it is always the name Jehovah. And this is absolutely vital. For you notice in verse 10, he says, Here my witnesses saith the Lord, who is who? Jehovah. And my servant whom I have chosen that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am who? Jehovah. I, even I, am Jehovah, and beside me there is no what? Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, who is Jesus? He's the Savior. Well, he can't be the Savior. Jehovah said that he's the only Savior. Well, guess who Jesus is? He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. That's who Jesus is. He calls himself in the book of Revelation, I am the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. He was living and he died and then rose from the dead and has the keys of hell and death. Who? Jesus. Who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is God. He's always been God. Well, I don't understand, preacher. How in the world can he be God and be seated at the right hand of God? 
Because he's God, he can be anything he says he is. And that's enough for me. I don't have to understand it. I believe it because he said it. I know him. He is the God who cannot lie. He saved me. I've sought the last 50 years to walk with him, to please him, to glorify him. What a great God he is. So a man, a prophet, simply of God, no, he's much more than that. By the way, in John chapter 14 and verse 9, he's talking to his disciples. And Philip speaks up and he says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Have I been so long time with thee, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? See, another proof of who Jesus really is. And thank God for those who trust him. He becomes their Savior. You see, recognizing him as Lord, as Savior, doesn't take you to heaven until you receive him. Until you put your trust in him alone to save you. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I've had some people say, well, I've always been a Christian. That's a lie. Couldn't have been. The first birth doesn't take you to heaven. You need the second birth to take you to heaven. That's why Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in that same chapter, in John chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John 5, 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you, let's see, I've lost the verse here, just left, left me, so I'm going to go over to it. Chapter 5, verse 24 in John, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. It's interesting that when the Philippian jailer fell down before Paul and Silas and he cried out, what must I do to be saved? Paul's answer is crystal clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Hallelujah. Book of Romans chapter 10. Paul dealing with his own people, the Jews. These people were trying to be personally righteous, trying to earn their own salvation. Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to righteousness, that they being ignorant of God, uh, of God's right. Well, I lost it again. That's two. I'm getting old. I just turned 73. Have a heart. I'm going to go over to it because I want you to hear it correctly. I don't want to misquote it to you. John chapter, Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel 
is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now get this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, you can't get to heaven by keeping the law. Thank God Christ kept every bit of the law. Christ never disobeyed God in one thing so that he can offer salvation to all of us sinners who all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What a marvelous, marvelous, victorious truth. That's why in Romans 6, 23, when he says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, you have to come to the place where you recognize, yes, he's God, he's holy, he's righteous, and we are simply sinners. You may be more moral than somebody else, but you're just as lost as everybody else. A sinner. There's no amount of things that you can do in your lifetime to take care of even one of your sins. For the wages of sin is death, not good works. The wages of sin is death, not giving to charity or to the church. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, a gift is something that is purchased by somebody else and given freely. If you work for it, you've earned it. If you've paid for it, you've bought it. But a gift you just receive. You receive Christ as your Savior. You get God's free gift of eternal life. Do you know him as Savior? The Bible says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Doesn't make any difference what your social economic background is, what your racial background is. Doesn't make any difference what country you come from, what your political persuasion is, or any of that. You've got one hope of heaven. It's not found in any party. It's not found in liberals and conservatives. It's only found in Jesus Christ. You must turn to him or you will die and burn in hell forever. Thank God. We say, what about when you get saved, preacher? Then you should think of him as Lord. Now, there's one thing of knowing him as the Lord. It is another thing to know him as the Lord of your life. Now, you need to know him as the Lord in order to be saved. But I don't believe a lost person can make Jesus the Lord of his life. You have to get saved by trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. And the right thing to do then is to surrender to Jesus in everything. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You see, as a believer, to make him Lord, he's Lord no matter what I think of him. But to make him Lord of my life, once I have received Christ as Savior, and thank God I did that, I have salvation, I'm going to heaven, why wouldn't I let him be Lord of my life? In everything. Because we were created to please Him. To bring pleasure to God. And to me, it's mind-boggling that we would trust Him with our eternal souls, but not trust Him with our day-to-day life. I mean, all right, let's say I trust Him with my day-to-day life and I have some hard times. 
Well, everybody has hard times anyway. Uh, what, what will I lose? But see, if I don't trust him with my soul first by taking Christ as Savior, I'll burn in hell for eternity. All right, so there comes that sweet surrender to him for every part of your life. That, there's a Greek word that's used of Jesus by Simeon at the temple when he was brought as a baby to the temple. When he said, now, Lord, now let us, thy servant, depart in peace according to thy word. And when he uses the word Lord there, it's a word in the Greek, it's despotes. We get the English word despot out of that. Now, when we think of the word despot, we don't think of something nice. We think of somebody like Adolf Hitler or something like that. But we, we find that word despotes which obviously has a far deeper meaning than our English word despot. In 2 Peter 2.1, denying the Lord despotes that bought them. In Acts 4.12, after they had persecuted the church, he prayed, they prayed, Lord, that's despotes, thou art God. Again, the saints in heaven cried after the opening of the fifth seal in Revelation 6.10. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, he says, If a man purge himself from these, he should be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master. That's despotes, the master's use. Now, I don't use Greek words very often. I did have Greek in college. There you go. And it doesn't make me smarter than anybody else. It meant that I paid a little more to go to college, perhaps, than others. But that was it. The point is, the English is good enough for me. He is the Lord, therefore I ought to live for him. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, the apostle Paul put it this way. He says, Now I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, which is acceptable unto God. It's just... Which is your reasonable service, I'm sorry. It's just reasonable to live for Christ. I I don't have any trouble being at church, being faithful to church. I haven't had any trouble for an awful lot of years since I've been saved to be at church. Why? It's just reasonable. Just reasonable to be in a place where the word of God is preached. Just reasonable to serve the Lord. It's just reasonable to live for God. I mean, he went to the cross of Calvary and died for me, suffered for my sin. It's just reasonable that I live for him in matters of purity, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, you're not your own. For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Matters of separation, matters of forgiveness, and matters of purity of service. It's just reasonable that we live for him. All right, you have to come to the place where you recognize that this Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, the only Savior, the one who died for you on Calvary and rose from the dead three days later, you have to come to the place where you realize that he is your only hope of salvation. You recognizing your sinfulness his holiness and righteousness, his sacrifice, his death, his bell, his resurrection. And you put your trust in that for your salvation. And you trust him. He saves you. But now he doesn't make you live for him. And once he saved you, he has saved you for good. But he's just like he doesn't make you get saved, he doesn't make you live for him after you're saved. 
You have to make that choice. And it's just reasonable to make the choice to live for him. What think ye of Christ? Well, I had to come to the place where I realized who he was, realized what he did. I took him as my savior. I trusted Christ as savior. And thank God I had a pastor who preached the word of God and challenged me to be faithful to the Lord, challenged me to serve him. And I recognized that Jesus wanted me to serve him. Not necessarily, as a matter of fact, back then, the last thing I was thinking of was ever pastoring or preaching even, anything like that. I, we got faithful to church. We got faithful uh, working in a bus route and just serving wherever we could serve because it just seemed reasonable if I trusted him with my soul to just live for him. And thank God I made the right decision. It's been more than worth it just to live for Christ. What a joy to live your life for the one who saved you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. May people consider today what they really think of Jesus. I fear that there are some, sadly enough, I mean, there's the joy of taking Christ as Savior, but they don't think he's worth living for. They don't think he's worth being faithful to. And I have trouble understanding that, Lord, but nevertheless, I know he doesn't make us live for him because he wants somebody to live for him who makes the choice to do it. Have your way in hearts today, I pray. Save those that are lost, and for the saved today, dear God, may they consider how they're spending this time on this earth as a Christian knowing Jesus. Please, God, deal with our lives in Jesus' name.